Never be the one who says, I have no idea. Unlock the full picture and get unlimited access to unique data and respected business journalism that advances your understanding and business. Subscribe today at housingwire.com slash membership. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Elissa Branch, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's episode continues our Women of Influence podcast miniseries with an interview with Camelia Martin, the head of industry and regulatory affairs at SnapDocs, who previously served as a managing director of digital mortgage advisory at Falcon Capital Advisors. During the episode, Martin discusses her position at SnapDocs and the current state of the closing industry. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Finance of America Companies provides lending solutions for every phase of life. With the proven ability to innovate towards evolving needs and an unwavering focus on the customer first, last, and always, Finance of America Companies empowers borrowers with a diverse suite of services in traditional and reverse mortgages, commercial real estate loans, home improvement, and more. Visit www.financeofamerica.com to learn how Finance of America is pushing dreams forward and find opportunities to join their incredible team. That's financeofamerica.com. Finance of America Companies is an equal opportunity employer. Hi, I'm Brenna Nath, HW Plus Managing Editor here at Housing Wire. We're continuing our Women of Influence podcast mini-series where we took a look at all our amazing award winners over the years, and we hand-selected a few to kind of dive a little bit deeper, not only to who they are, but also what they've been up to since we awarded them a woman of influence. Right now, I'm joined by Camelia Martin. She's head of industry and regulatory affairs at SnapDoc. So first off, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much, Brenna. So jumping off with these kind of mini series, I like to read a little bit of your profile. You've been doing so many things, and I've actually had the pleasure of chatting with you quite a bit over the years. But looking at your profile, here's just a few words to help describe, I mean, so many of the amazing accomplishments that you've done. So it says, Camelia Martin has been a leader in the adoption, implementation, and use of digital mortgages, calling on her 15 years of experience in the housing industry. Martin has led industry-wide digital mortgage initiatives that have directly supported e-note acceptance programs for key participants such as Ginny May and the Federal Home Loan Banks. She is a former MERS Corp executive and launched the Digital Mortgage Advisor Group, once moving to Falcon Capital, and now she's with us at SnapDoc. So as I mentioned before, I've had the pleasure of chatting with you throughout your career. Can you talk to us about where you're at today and your role at SnapDocs? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's probably as helpful because the title can be a little confusing at times. Um, So I think the best way to summarize it is I try to serve as a bridge between the industry and staff docs. Um, So whether that's something that's top of mind for our lenders or there's a new challenge that's being discussed in the industry or in a trade association, um, I want to make sure that we're staying close enough to these challenges and to the opportunities to help solve them. And a big part of that's, of course, still related to digital closings, uh, but it's also starting to expand beyond that. And I'm really excited to learn and grow into these new experiences. Now, as I probably said now three times how much you and I have chatted over the years, but I think what's been interesting to note throughout the years is the closing market has shifted a lot since we first started talking, even to this last year. And since that's your area of expertise, 
I wanted to chat some about where the closing market is today. You've not only accomplished a lot since you won, but the market has shifted a lot. So what would you want to say about where the closing market is today, especially knowing how much change came about in 2020, maybe even in the world of adoption? Yeah, we've, we've seen a tremendous amount of progress with digital closings. And I think it's no secret that some of that was fueled by, by the pandemic. Um, and I, feel, I personally feel like I've been on this like crazy long journey uh, right along with the industry, just with different segments of it at different times. And um, I'm just curious to see, I'm personally curious to see how the shift from refi to purchase will affect some of these dynamics. Uh, I think, you know, there's always been this emphasis, right, on borrower experience. And no question, you know, every survey that that's put out says everybody wants a, a more digital option if they have that choice when they're doing business. But when we look at the past year or so, there was just a ton of emphasis on making sure that the closing can still happen. Um, you know, making sure that the borrower, the notary, the settlement agent was able to feel safe and, and maybe that meant a closing that wasn't done in person. Um, and so I think there were lenders that did a lot of investments for that reason, maybe because they felt like they had to. Um, but I think that what might start to happen is as everyone settles into these investments and, and really starts to scale these implementations, my hope is that they you know take a breath and start to really see, well, where can I gain efficiencies in the process too? You know, like we're seeing lenders that save hundreds of dollars per closing from digitizing a single document. Uh, in the entire closing package. And I would expect that to be an even more meaningful difference if we start to see, you know, the margin compression that I'm reading in Housing Wire about or, or hearing other economists talk about, right? I think those little those little differences will make a really big impact. I like how you mentioned there, it was a small comment, but you did use the wording, take a breath. I think we all rushed through a lot of the last year to even now. And so I like how you just emphasize, take a breath and kind of look at the efficiencies or the borrower experience that we all just went through since I'm sure there's a lot, if you paused and looked back at all the impact of everything, there'd be a lot there to uncover. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's like you focus where you typically would focus with a lot of projects that are, that are external and consumer facing is on the front end. And then you know, you try to figure that part out and then you start looking at, okay, what does this mean on the back end and how can I really scale this? And so I, I feel like that's the next chapter for a lot of lenders that had to do some pretty quick implementations in, in the last year, um, but as they move forward. Of course, the other side of implementation that people are looking at, you know, there's this giant need to go remote or a giant focus on e-closing, but then you also have the government side of things. And I know, I mean, it's in your title, you're the head of industry and regulatory affairs, but you've also just had such a close eye and such a good look into what is happening when it comes to government and regulation. So when it comes to closing, how are things progressing when it comes to the other kind of stakeholder, which is government adoption? Yeah. So if you, if we take it to um, maybe micro examples, which is remote online notarization. I think we're up to 37, 38 states now that that allow our past legislation for remote online notarization. Um, we're, I think, up to almost 90% of the counties in the country. Um, well, 90% of the population are covered by counties in the country where you can actually take a digital document, an e-signed document and record it in the county. So these are all like really small examples of things that have to happen at, at state and county government levels for adoption to really be able to be scalable. 
Um, but, you know, just thinking about it more broadly, I think it's no secret that larger organizations don't always adopt new technologies quickly. So if I think about agencies like Ginny May and the federal home loan banks, um, when they do adopt them, and I think we've seen this in particular with these agencies, it sends a really strong signal to the rest of the industry. So like for sure, there's like the increase in liquidity of loans that are closed digitally, but maybe there's like a more nascent message that, you know, here's a more typically risk averse agency. They're ready and willing to adopt this technology. And how does that give lenders and maybe other counterparties the confidence to do the same? Um, and, and I think of course, this has an amazing network effect that cascades across the industry. So when we see somebody like Jenny May announce their their e-note programs, the federal home loan banks start announcing their e-note programs. I know at SnapDocs we see it, I'm sure others see it, but there's this massive cascading effect where lenders are like, okay, I can actually do this now because there's more and more of my counterparties that are going to accept it. That makes a lot of sense. And maybe this isn't the right word choice, so correct me if maybe the word is wrong, but it's also that extra level of confidence too once you see, because I mean, Jenny May is a huge part of the market for them to adopt it or to move forward kind of a stance on it creates to your point, that waterfall effect for lenders to see your moving confidence on in that area. Totally. I think it sends a pretty loud and clear message whenever, you know, a government agency signals adoption of a technology and, and sort of enabling the broader industry's adoption of it. Um, since you asked about regulation, I think, you know, back to the first question that you would ask, like this is, this is a part actually of my career that I'm still like growing into. And so I have more questions than I have answers, but I think it would be interesting to see if some of the regulatory agencies start to look at digital closings as a right. So I have this thought in my head, like for example, today a borrower has the right to opt out of a digital closing. But if you think about the history of this, like meaning paper and wedding has always been the norm, you know, why can't the reverse also be true? Um, I mean, for every time I have to opt out and give someone permission to send me an electronic notice, I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'd much prefer the latter. Like, get my permission before you send me one more piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, when we think about access and borrowers um, of different, you know, and different, you know, segments of the industry, like, I think about, well, what about borrowers that are paid by the hour? Are there are there certain segments of borrowers that are disadvantaged if a digital closing that could take 15 minutes instead of a couple of hours is offered to them and now they have to take off of work um, and they're not getting that option? Again, I don't know the answers to, to any of these questions, but I think yeah. they're just interesting to think about. Yeah. I had the unique experience. We did buy a home during COVID and we had the other lane, which is a drive-through closing, which is the route we went to your point and that did require taking time off work, sitting in a parking lot for a little bit. And I live in Colorado. So it is a state where the weather is not always your best friend when it comes to closing. So it's to your point. I mean, there's so many factors that go into, and I've always thought about that in this state, knowing that we are a state where I, I mean, I, I watch a real estate agent in the middle of a blizzard still have to go to closing because that's, that's what you, it's closing day. You need to go. And so that's always an extra factor, at least in my state that we've had to consider of well, what happens when the weather is terrible and, and you still kind of have to make that drive. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I think um, I'm actually a little jealous that you had a drive through closing because I, because <laughs> the e-closing nerd in me wanted to be a, a fly on the wall or actually a fly on the car windshield. <laughs> 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 
Um, but I, I read about them and I was looking at some of those, um, some of those images that I saw in the news about them. And it's like, you're right. Like the closing still has to happen, you know, yeah. humans and nature always finds a way, but we, we still have all of these other tools and technology available to us that we're just not really fully leveraging yet. As an expert on a lot of these things, you know, you have so much expertise to share in this space. If you were sitting in a room with some of like the biggest stakeholders in, in the industry, maybe the top CEOs, top mortgage CEOs specifically, um, what would you want them to know? Or like you focus on so many things, but what is some a point that you would want to like bring home for them? Yeah, that's a really tough question. <laughs> I think I think first I'd want to pick their brains. Um, so going back to my role at SnapDocs, I, I'd be curious about what are they most excited about for their companies? Um, what keeps them up at night? In terms of what I'd say, I'd also want to ask I want to ask them how deeply they understand their operations. Um, because I think when you think about profitability, which is probably always on a CEO's mind, the devil's in the details. And there's a lot of hidden places where you can find those efficiencies. Um, closings is a great place to start. I remember when I was doing some consulting, I had a, a CEO once tell me, you know, we don't close loans. Settlement does that. We originate them. And it, it actually took me and my team showing him these like painfully detailed workflows that we had created um, like with his teams that we created with his teams to show him like what the process actually looked like and how much he actually had entire teams doing related to closings. So, you know, scanning and chasing down missing docs and, and having to have docs re-signed, you know, and it took him seeing those workflows for him to have the light bulb go off for himself to see like, okay, what would the potential of automation and digitization do? And I think it's just a very easy part of a lender's loan production lifecycle to, to forget about or not think about as an area to focus on. But again, I think the impact could be pretty massive. That's a really good answer. I ask that quite a bit of times. And I like the idea of two of using the moment to just pick their brains and see, see what they see, especially in such a new kind of territory. To wrap, I always like to ask the same question. And it goes back to the heart of this series, which is the Woman of Influence Award Program. It's one of our longest running programs. I've had the pleasure of sitting in on those award kind of rankings as we nominated people and hand selected them. From your side, as a woman of influence, what do you think it would take to get more women and more diversity into the space, especially when it does come to those leadership roles? Yeah. So, so hopefully that room full of CEOs I was just in <laughs> is filled with a good number of women. Um, I think it takes a great deal of intentionality for sure. You know, leadership comes with the responsibility of also recognizing who should be sitting alongside you in that you know, executive meeting or in that boardroom. Um, I try to challenge myself whenever I want to meet with someone or get their perspective before a meeting that they're not in or a decision that I need to help make. And they're not part of that decision-making process. Um, I think it's like worth asking the question of like, well, if they're so valuable that I'm asking them for this perspective, why shouldn't they be in that room? Why shouldn't they be directly participating in that decision? Um, versus, you know, being behind the scenes. I also think being in those rooms, like even if at first you're just the fly on the wall or maybe you're like tempted to take the seat by the door, that's okay. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't have to lean in the first time. 
Um, but it's definitely where we learn and grow. And so pulling in others, I think with us is, a is, is everybody's responsibility, but certainly responsibility of leaders at organizations. And for me, that person was a woman the first time. And so that was pretty meaningful for me. Um, but I think, you know, male and female, I think it's, it's a responsibility that shouldn't be taken lightly. It's a broader concept, but very similar to what you said, but I was like saying that idea, like creating room at the table, making space for others and bringing other people along on your journey. Um, well, I wanted to say as we wrap, really appreciate all your insight. I know we covered a lot of things here, one part advice to women and another part, what are the latest changes and what's happening in the closing industry? It's always a pleasure to chat with you. I'm sure we'll have many more conversations to come. Thanks. Likewise. Thanks so much, Brenna, for having me. On September 27th and 28th at the Omni Hotel in Frisco, Texas, Housing Wire will host its second annual event, which will be in person for the first time. Housing Wire Annual offers each guest the opportunity to gather with top industry professionals for exclusive content, technology demonstrations, and unbeatable networking. Find out more by going to the events tab on the Housing Wire site. You won't want to miss out on this event, so register by September 20th. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.